Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to the In Squash Podcast, our first podcast of 2019, episode 62, uh, with Hadrian Stiff um, today. I hope you all had a wonderful uh, New Year's holiday season uh, celebration and that the New Year's gotten off, uh, gotten underway well for you, both for your family and in terms of, uh, of your squash. Uh, today, Hadrian uh, comes on to the podcast, and um, when we left off last year, we had uh, several uh, coaches coming on who came on to the podcast at the end of the year, uh, Nick Taylor and Rob Owens. And I know personally myself, after both of those uh, episodes, I was very motivated to uh, implement some of the stuff that they spoke about in terms of what they do with their players and, and just training uh, in general. And then obviously you go on uh, the internet and take a look at what they do more specifically on some of the, with some of their the videos and some of the uh, the knowledge that they impart online. And uh, Hadrian uh, comes on and does the same thing. Very inspirational stuff. The way he goes about explaining his approach to the game, uh, harmonizing the body and the mind, and bringing that uh, to your your squash game. Uh, we talk a lot about that, and uh, I mention in in the podcast how, uh, for me personally, some of my uh, most of the the matches, the best matches that I've played, uh, where I had my best results, were matches where it just uh, happened uh, naturally. Uh, I wasn't really thinking uh, too much on the court; it all just seemed uh, so easy. I wasn't thinking too much about it, and um, he goes on to sort of describe why that is and how. Uh, he tries to coach that uh, and t- tries to look look into that with his players. So so I really found that interesting. And um, I know if, once you listen to it uh, and maybe uh, see what he's uh, getting at, uh, we'll all be trying to do that within our games. It seems to be working for, for him uh, with his team. Uh, obviously, there's more to it than that. But uh, the Sherbaggy brothers, uh, Joel King, uh, he's got a, a large stable of players that are all uh, young players uh, that are all doing quite well right now. So uh, clearly, uh, the harmonization of uh, body and mind amongst other, uh, obviously, technical things. But that's something that he really uh, focuses on and goes into uh, detail uh, on the podcast today. Uh, we also talk a lot about his backstory growing up in Devon, uh, Devon, England, the county of Devon, um, who his role models were, the most important of which his father, uh, the impact he had uh, on his game. And uh, and then also a little bit more about the history uh, of elite squash. You can see a couple of his videos uh, on squash skills where, where he talks about that, but he goes into a bit more detail uh, on that as well. So uh, I hope you all enjoy this uh, podcast, episode 62 with Hadrian Stiff. Today uh, on episode 62 of the In Squash podcast, uh, we have the director and founder of Elite Squash, uh, he's the coach to several of, of the game's top players, including uh, Marwan and uh, Mohamed El Sherbagi, Joel King, uh, amongst others. And he was also a, a top 50 PSA player himself. Uh, Hadrian uh, Stiff is my guest today. Hadrian, great to have you uh, on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be here. It's uh, officially my first podcast, so um, really? I'm looking forward uh-huh. to it. <laughs> a little bit nervous, but I'm looking forward to it. It's good. Yeah. I've discovered that, you know, uh, I mean, you're, you're a household name out there amongst coaches and in the squash scene. And I've had a few other players like Raneem El-Walili. She came on and she said it was her, it was her first uh, podcast. So uh, this is definitely a niche uh, uh, podcast uh, genre. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think it's something kind of 
Yeah, he's relatively new to squash. Um, I mean, Tom Ford, who's obviously you know a close friend and a big part of what we do in Bristol, he's he's doing some as well. But yeah. uh, it's kind of you guys are you know sort of pioneering it at the moment, which is is great. It's a really great way of um, you know sharing what's going on with players and um, and yeah, and broadening the sport. It's great. Yeah, I've had uh, actually I've had Tom on the podcast and uh, we had a great chat. How how's he doing uh, these days? I know he he was one of your former or maybe still uh, someone that you uh, you worked uh, a fair amount with over the years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he's doing really well. Yeah, he's um, coaching uh, for or was part of our team in Elite Squash. That's um, relatively oh. recent. Um, mm-hmm. So he's he's kind of heading up the junior program in Bristol, uh, and working with quite a lot of the pro players now as well, running squads um, and also you know running some camps with me in different parts of the world. So um, yeah, it's been a great you know journey so far with him as kind of coach and and pupil uh, and uh, all the way through that journey right into to kind of where we are now. He's he's back playing at a really great level. Yeah, well, he was um, playing quite coach. well uh, until he until he stopped playing there. Uh, he was yeah, yeah. absolutely. I know, no, I know his, uh, uh, his podcast is actually uh, finding the balance. I guess that's sort of taking a page out of uh, Elite Squash's book, isn't it? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But there's something uh, sure. there in terms of the, the philosophy that you have, uh, and I think yeah, his podcast, I think so. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, now, if we, uh, uh, I just wanted to ask you about the holiday season, actually, Adrian. I mean, did you have uh, much time off and uh, any time away from the game? I know you were you're a little bit sick there. You had the flu bug, uh, so that must have yeah. taken uh, taken you away from the courts for a bit. But uh, did you have any uh, sort of respite from from the game uh, during the holidays, or was it full steam ahead? <laughs> I, I did manage a bit. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's always quite a a tough the, the christmas break is is often quite tough because um obviously with the tournament champions coming up fairly early on in the new year um a lot of the the players that I work with are preparing for that so uh it's a balance really between um you know making sure I can you know really give those players what they need in preparation for that event while trying to factor in some downtime as you said I had a bit of a a flu bug for about a week which sort of took me off the courts probably took me off the courts for maybe a couple of days but uh certainly sort of slowed me down but um yeah actually i also had a really nice break um we went away for about a week from the 26th boxing day uh over to bruges in belgium um, oh, lovely well yeah it was really nice really nice and uh it kind of took me away from from bristol which sometimes i need in order to to properly relax uh but um we, we've got a, a, a partner location there so there's a, a a club elite squash bruges um which has been up and running since september um so part of the trip was um coming back and and meeting up with the owner uh and, and the team over there and seeing how everything's going and um, they had a kind of christmas tournament on at the same time so it was nice kind of kind of work but also fun and, and relaxing and nice to see the club uh, in sort of full steam and it was nice and busy and lots of different levels there and the top two players were Lucas um, and um, Yusuf Solomon oh, okay. so they had a kind of 
couple of couple of sort of big names and then Jan van der Hoeregen. I can't remember how to pronounce his surname. Jan and Yuri right. Harper. So a uh, couple of good players that um, you know provided the uh, I suppose the sort of exhibition um, for the more sort of local based uh, players. They're both in the elite squash camp. I know Yusuf is right. Uh, Lucas. Yes. Well, uh... Yeah, yeah. Lucas was based in Bristol for four years from um, when he was kind of finishing his junior career through university here. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd like to think, you know, that Lucas is very much still part of of our thing here. And, you know, we still meet up occasionally. And, um, uh, you know, I think he still uses a lot of what, what he learned here, which is great. Um, yeah, it's it really nice. And, and Youssef, yeah, very much so. Um, he's been here for a couple of years now, and um, yeah, they're yeah, both uh, really both well. quite uh, quite talented players. Uh, young guys. Yusuf's had a you know reason a very very good, I guess, year. The last year has been quite good for him. And Lucas, every time I watch him play, I'm just I think to myself, you know, uh, he should be uh, he should be right up there in the in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think they're both as you say, quite sort of similar in that respect. They've had very good junior careers, uh, you know, won a lot of titles. Um, they've got that pedigree, uh, which is often necessary to really sort of push through. Um, yeah, and both have, for sure, opportunities for um, for top 10, I think. Um, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I know that's certainly uh, their aspiration. And uh, But as you well know, there's a lot of other people very keen, so they're going to have to, you know, put... Um, put the hours in and stick at it yeah that's the exciting thing about the game today i mean there's so many young talented guys out there that are uh, vying for those uh you know that, that top 10 or top 20 spot in the world it's uh it's exciting uh for the game it is yeah it is and um yeah it's it's a it's a there's another shift um i think kind of happening now a new generation in the top 10 coming through um with ali farag and you know, Gwad and uh, you know, Marwan, and there's that, and then there's that kind of next tier down. You've got you know, Yusuf and Asal and these guys, and Yusuf Ibrahim, there's Diego. You know, so many players who are, uh, you know, still have a good few years to come and a lot of improvement to make. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who breaks through. Um, yeah, again, John Macon, George Parker. Yeah. There's there's a lot so of so many uh, of them. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, there's a lot of names, yeah. but yeah, at the same time. You know, it's uh, it often there's only kind of a few that manage to actually survive in a way the whole journey and uh, um, and and stick at it and push through. And uh, you know that that is often one of the big determining factors is you know what kind of characters people are and how well they can you know ride through the whole process. Um, as you well know from talking to the different players you've had, there's. There's so much more to it than just what happens on the court. Um, and uh, certainly a lot of my time is spent, you know, considering and helping these other things outside the court and how the whole process, you know, can be most successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about that uh, later later on. Mm-hmm. But uh, if sure. you don't mind, if uh, we can take a, take a little bit of a look back at your uh, your early career, I guess both of your your parents played the game. Your mother, uh, I think, uh, maybe managed a club or worked at a squash club, and your dad played a fair amount and actually coached uh, yeah. a bit. So what was it, uh, I guess, in terms of your father's game? Because I guess you may have uh, 
followed him a bit more. Uh, what was it about his game? What things did you take from him uh, as a player as you were growing up and developing uh, your own game at a young age? Um, so much, actually. Um, it's an interesting thing for me to reflect on. Um, I've done it once kind of recently, actually, with a, on a video for Squash Skills, a sort of similar um, you know, some of the questions, sort of where things started, where they came from. And um, yeah, if I really kind of delve back to that time from literally four years old, being in and around squash clubs and, you know, the people and the influences and um, yeah, the environment that really shaped me. Um, yeah, my father is still um, and very much was this kind of uh, model, I suppose, that that I was, um, you know, watching and copying and, and learning from, even though there's been many years where I've pretended I'm not listening and, and was a typical, <laughs> typical son that's like, you don't know anything, I know everything. And, you know, we've had, had uh, you know, our inevitable rifts at tournaments where he's been trying to help me and I've just been, the, you know, the cocky teenager that um, you know, doesn't want to listen. But uh, now with 45 years old and, you know, a lot, a lot of retrospective knowledge to look back and think, you know, how much uh, impact, you know, he has had on on my game. Uh, initially, he's, um, he's a very, well, I'd like to say a kind of a graceful mover uh, and player, well known for his um, ease of court coverage, um, his ball control, ball skills, short game, uh, and even now at, at 75, he still kind of demonstrates that, you know, That's good. In, a, in a relative way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and also his, his outlook and attitude to not just squash, but, but sport in general. And, um, and how he's been somebody who, even though has been very successful as a squash player all the way through his journey, um, he was certainly one of the best in the world uh, for his age as a as a junior in those days. There wasn't quite so much, um, not quite so many tournaments or rankings or any of the things like we have now. But he got to the final of the British Junior Open in 1962. Oh wow! Um, okay. You know, years and years ago, and, um, and and that was you know back in the days of of obviously wooden rackets, and he had to kind of borrow racket to play because his racket was broken, and he didn't want to ask his parents <laughs> if. Uh, yeah they could buy him a new one because he didn't want to put the pressure on them to spend more money and you know these kind of classic old school stories but yeah. you know clearly was right up there as, as one of the best at that time and um but the sport was amateur uh you know he had a a huge kind of part or a huge part a part in um in jonah barrington's development as well they used to play a lot and were you know, quite quite close and um uh, and still are um, so, you know, he, he's a very humble and, you know, quietly kind of confident and capable person. Um, and, and he's the same off the court in the you know, jobs that he's done since. And, uh, yeah, I really, you know, I hope I, I carry some of those things. Um, and, uh, you know, it certainly, as I said, been a kind of huge influence. And then into teaching, um, the same, really. He's a great communicator. Um, loves to uh, kind of impart knowledge on people sometimes whether they like it or not 
<laughs> he loves yeah. to, uh, you yeah. know, tell people, you need to, you know, he'll just jump onto courts in Bristol of people he doesn't even know. And <laughs> said, if you just do this, that's going to make it way better. And yeah. like, who's this random old guy? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's that, it's that passion and energy, which, you know, he still imparts now. He's, he's coaching um, on, on our little mini squash on Sunday mornings. You know, he's down so he's there. He's sort of a, an ambassador of sorts for, for elite squash? Uh, massively, massively. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole kind of philosophy and um, and yeah way that we have, you know, he's he's part of it as a product of, you know, me being kind of part of him. And um, yeah, on, on our website, he's called the Guru. Actually, I just oh, oh, okay. Okay. This, this, this the Guru. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that's it's it's probably you know a, a common story for a lot of people who. Yeah, you know, in squash or, or in anything, who have who've you know really pursued something and stuck with it, and it's become you know their sort of life journey and passion is that there are you know often very influential people along the way, and um, you know for sure, you know, Dad's um, very much one of those people, and, and and actually the older I get, the more I understand that. Yeah, uh, is, is often the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I I can say the same thing for my parents in in my own uh, nice. world. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 for right. sure. Now the um, now and also you, I, I think uh, I watched that video, which is where I did a little bit of my research for this. Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, out of Devon, you had Michael uh, Puertas and Phil, uh, Philip Whitlock as a couple of uh, the top players that you were looking up to. Uh, as a as yeah. a young player back in the day, uh, what was it like for you back then in terms of uh, competi- competition wise, competitively? Uh, I guess coming up, those were the guys you were looking up to, and and you did fairly well uh, back then, uh, county wise and, and for England. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, I think you know these are such crucial parts of um, you know development for players. Is is that within that environment those those people that you um look up to aspire to you know hope to beat one day um you know again dad being one of them people that you know desperately wanted to try and beat one day and then yeah michael um puertas was for sure one of those people um he was living in plymouth at the time which is you know, sort of 45 minutes from exeter where my well, you know, where we're describing it at the moment back in Devon, southwest of England. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, very talented, you know, young player that came through very quickly, kind of rose up the ranks in the UK, uh, was sort of the best player in Devon at the time. And somebody that really sort of pushed me and stretched me to try and, um, you know, get up to his level, really. Um, and, and, and simultaneously, another player called Mike Gregory, who has been my best man at my wedding and I've been best man at his wedding. So we're obviously extremely close. Uh, and we have played I, I've countless times from sort of 10 years old, all the way through the age groups, like many, many county finals and, and regional finals and so on. And, uh, you know, he's been another person who's, you know, certainly shaped my, um, you know, kind of younger squash career and extremely talented, skillful, you know, I would just run around basically and stay there until he got bored and eventually <laughs> somehow get the result. But yeah. Uh, yeah, really showed me a lot about skill and Michael and then, um, and probably a little bit later on then Phil Whitlock, uh, uh, kind of different in a way, a lot more of a, um, 
uh, how would I describe it? Um, more of a kind of a remote character in a sense that he really sort of went about his business fairly separately and um, incredibly hard trainer and yeah. you know, hours and hours and hours of work in Devon, kind of behind the scenes really a lot of people didn't see. Um, but I would, you know, occasionally have the fortune to, to get on court with him and just be a kind of sparring partner for him as he was pushing up towards the top 10. Uh, and again, learn huge amounts there about what he did and how he did it, his, his straight-based game, his drop shots, his ball control, his work ethic, um, you know, really gave me a, quite a clear insight into the realities of what it takes, you know, at professional level to, to push through. Yeah, he's, uh, he's actually doing work with uh, Declan James now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few players, I think, who've um, you know, been to see him. Um, yeah, yeah, very effective coach. So any, uh, back in your playing days, anyway, anyways, uh, back then, any particularly uh, memorable uh, battles or matches that, uh, that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, are we talking juniors here? Or, and, and, or, I mean, yeah, uh, any match that, uh, you know, maybe sticks out the most for you could be against, even against your dad. I mean, first time you beat him. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, definitely one of the major milestones. Um, I think I might have been 14, uh, something like that, when I beat my dad the first time. And for sure, I think like a lot of sons with squash playing fathers, it uh, that was, you know, my reason for playing is just beat this person. You know, everything <laughs> else was kind of irrelevant, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, up until that age, and um, yeah, I can remember beating him, and then instantly had this kind of weird feeling of um sort of almost sadness and and disappointment that there wasn't the feeling that i thought it was going to be oh yeah uh kind of felt uh, sorry for for your for your father a bit yeah i did i did and then um probably within i don't know half an hour to an hour of finishing the match and kind of looking back on it i kind of then had this sense of like actually I don't know whether he was full out there. <laughs> I don't know whether he was trying <laughs> yeah. to really finish me off. Uh, and, yeah, and only, uh, only he knows. Only he knows. I think that's exactly what I was going to say. Only, only yeah. he knows that. But all I know is about uh, a few weeks later, we played um, a kind of county match against a, a different county in the Southwest. Um, and he played uh, a young player called Jason Vickers, actually, who was a very dominant force in um, the southwest of England, who at that stage I wasn't really getting very close to. Um, I think I was maybe getting one game occasionally or two games, but um, dad played him and absolutely annihilated him. And it kind of gave me a bit of an indication. It's like, actually, maybe I'm not at your level yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you must yeah, have been proud yeah. of him uh, after that one. I was. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. As I said, it's that kind of whole uh, dynamic between, you know, the joy of watching him play and particularly, you know, him just tear apart somebody that I'm still struggling to beat. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, having this kind of, you know, desperate sort of desire to feel like I'd passed him, which in reality probably happened a year or two later right. uh, in, in real terms. Um and, and I had a yeah an enormous battle with Mike Puertas um, in Exeter, I think, is when I first beat him, maybe to win a county final. Uh, I think it was over two hours. Um, Scoring and, to uh, nine. 
at that point scoring to nine old yeah. school to nine yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah big for a kind of packed packed club um, again strong memories from those days of, of playing Mike Puertas Mike Gregory you know, and the various other players in that area is that um, in those days you're kind of talking probably late 80s early 90s um, you know league nights were packed and we'd go from club to club and there would be, you know, 50 to a hundred people watching. Yeah. Um, which really added to the, you know, the kind of scale of the event. And any time I played, you know, either of the mics, it would be packed and there'd be this massive atmosphere. Would that be a different, it'd be quite a bit different, the dynamic there than playing in a pro event where no one really has a stake unless it's a, a hometown. Yeah. Player. But if you go and play a league match, I mean, I've played yeah. league matches there. The, 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 it's electric in there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. I mean, sadly, it's not really like that anymore. It's just the way that squash has shifted. Unfortunately, you know, it's, uh, there just isn't that kind of number of people playing and, um, mm. uh, and, and I suppose just excitement for kind of league squash in the UK you know, for various reasons. But um, yeah, that, that was, that was a huge one. And, and uh, yeah, I can remember coming off and, and, you know, genuinely just kind of collapsing my legs sort of fell away underneath me and, uh, <laughs> and just thinking, you know, like you're almost delirious with tiredness um, yeah. uh, and then kind of crawling into the shower and, and, and just being in there and then having that sort of post-match moment where you're like, wow, you know, I, I've actually, I've done this and like what an unbelievable battle. In fact, even thinking about it now is quite strange. So the enjoyment <laughs> of that much suffering, yeah, I don't yeah. have that to the same way anymore. But I, I genuinely, uh, I used to enjoy how far um you know matches like that would take you and and then that you know unusual psychology of of the sort of buzz that you get from that really and i think you know to be honest you you, you at professional level um i start to understand this now working with players professional players more and more that i think you do have to have a strange kind of enjoyment for that level of sort of pain Mm. Uh, and challenge um, because you know rationally if you say it out loud to somebody who doesn't play squash or or, or something which is that demanding they'd be like why on earth would you do that um, it sounds awful <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh, but as you know as we know and, and I'm sure you know the people that you're talking to and that, that listen to this this is one of the things which you know really uh, adds to the sport is that it's just just so you know insanely challenging on so many levels so yeah those those kind of matches with with you know Mike Puertas was much more of a just a you know an all-in battle um yeah uh, and probably the, the other one just being the British Junior Open final um uh when I lost to Yuha Ramelin who um okay. who won everything that year he won didn't he beat Jonathan Power in the uh world uh, world junior finals yeah he did yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah i'm canadian um, so i'm pro power sure yeah yeah i did power (laughs) in the semis that year actually that's oh did you uh, okay that's my my mini claim to fame my junior (laughs) career so did did was he shouting during the match (laughs) he was uh he was shouting his best behavior that was a long long hard three two and he was quite yeah quite noisy was he um and uh I, i can remember after that actually Quite naively, I probably get a little bit going back to my sort of, you know, my father's um, sort of sportsman 
behavior is I sort of went up to him and said, oh, you know, it was a great game, great game. Can I, can I buy you a drink? Because I'd always like try to make sure that I bought my opponent a drink after the game to show respect. Yeah. And he just looked at me and said, to say, are you kidding me? Like, it's basically kind of in a crumpled tea pint <laughs> in the back of the courts. And I think he almost saw it as patronizing and it wasn't supposed to be, but you know, yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah, it's just like, yeah. like, just go away. I'm not interested in talking to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah Ramelin was, yeah, he was an absolute machine. As I said, yeah. he beat Peter Nickel in the other semi final. Um, I think he beat Peter 3 1 or 3 2, and then beat Power in the World Juniors, and then he beat Peter in the Europeans as well. So he did BJO, Europeans, and Worlds all, all in succession in one season. And did um, did he have just sort of an average uh, professional career, or do, was it did he succumb to injury, or uh, was it? Was, well, was I, th- I think he still had a very, a very good professional career. Right. I think he got around thirty, something yeah. like that, in the world. Um, uh, yeah. So I mean, he still did really well, but um, you know, as we were saying earlier, you you see it a lot that there. You know, people can win titles at a young age uh, and sometimes they go on to be extremely successful and sometimes, you know, they do well. Sometimes they just disappear. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's a long journey between sort of being a teenager through to... No, there's a huge gap, you know, isn't just, there, from that, from that junior is. age until, you know, 23, 24. You've got to really... Something's got to click yeah. you know, in order for... Yeah, completely. And the difference between junior squash and senior squash is... Uh, is a big shock to the system for sure. Um, I think that's um, that's something which is quite difficult to understand, probably from a coach's point of view. Sometimes is what feels like the most successful thing to do to win junior events is not always the most successful thing to do for the mid to long term into seniors. Yeah. Um, and Mohammed often talks about this: the uh, you know the British Junior Open and World Junior Open really just being opportunities for him to get better to be world number one they were just right. stepping stones it wasn't it was never the big goal uh, at all you know for some people of course it is because it's still an incredible achievement but for him it was just yeah just just opportunities to to get better um because obviously the the, the big vision was so much further past that of you know world champion world number one and as many titles as possible and of course as we know he's still going so um sure. yeah i think yeah. uh you know that Junior, junior, senior squash is, um, yeah, it's a huge, huge transition for, yeah. for anyone. Yeah, I know personally, I, uh, I was top junior in the province of Nova Scotia for, for a number of years. And then I, did, I don't think I won a tournament until I was 23 after yeah. I left juniors. So well, uh, it yeah. was really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. It is. I and mean, so the frustration is the, is the killer. You have to be very dogged and almost stubborn and persistent and patient and robust because yeah as you say winning titles and collecting silverware as a junior is pretty accessible Mm, yeah there's a lot of different a lot of different values you can do that but winning psa titles is uh yeah that's a whole different ballpark um but yeah i mean it's as i said earlier it's not easy (laughs) on many levels well, you've uh, you've done a great job with your coaching, obviously, and uh, that's what I'd like uh, like to talk to you here a little bit more about. Sure. Um, now, uh, coaching became a full time thing, obviously, uh, a few years ago. When did uh, when did it all come about for you in terms of uh, taking on coaching as a full time uh, thing? And then, how did um, 
how did elite squash come into play out of all of this? So uh, it kind of elite squash was, I suppose, sort of born relatively early on. Um, I think it was around my kind of early to mid twenties when I was playing professionally based in Nottingham, traveling and playing PSA. Uh, but each summer returning back to Exeter, uh, in Devon, where I was from, um, and running summer camps, basically. Um, so, you know, the, the idea of running the summer camps was, you know, each time I would come back, there'd be, uh, you know, quite a few young players who are really keen to, you know, to get coaching and, uh, uh, to, you know, kind of gain some help from me, I suppose. Um, and, uh, and there were a lot of kids in Devon at that stage, a lot of kids in the Southwest. Um, and, you know, I sort of thought, well, let's, let's give this a go. Let's run some camps. Let's start with two days and then kind of built up to three and then to four days. And, and as I was kind of developing these camps, um, I, I had quite a clear vision early on actually with those camps that I wanted to, to provide an environment which um, would basically give them maximum opportunity for these young players to to be as successful as possible based on my experience through juniors the coaching that I'd uh, had access to and the people I had access to what my experiences were you know so far as a professional player uh, and what did that mean in a camp environment like how how could I create you know this this sort of ultimate combination of of coaching of um you know, information beyond the court through uh, physiotherapy, Pilates. I had different people coming in and talking about the body and how it worked. And um, uh, yeah, really tried to, to go all in, really. I, I also um, uh, brought in the kind of biggest, best names that I could. So I had Peter Marshall, Simon Park, Alex Goff, uh, Joe Knipe at one point, the Australian yeah. which was former top 10, um, and really sort of drew on the, the people that are friends of mine, but the people that I felt could really add some kind of wow factor and, um, and uh, you know, extensive knowledge to the camps. Um, so that's kind of, they were called elite squash camps, basically. And um, the name just kind of popped up in conversation with some friends at the time. Uh, so that became, you know, this sort of annual event that that I would sort of grow year on year and um, sort of kind of heavily invest into sort of time and effort and coaches. Um, and that just kept ticking over while I was still in my playing career. Um, but I was coaching from 16. Uh, okay. <clears throat> when I was based in Devon, I was doing private lessons and things to bring in, you know, a few extra pennies to, to fund tournament trips and so on. Um, so I definitely knew that it's something that I like doing. Um, and um, I was gathering experience, I suppose, from a relatively young age with, with coaching, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis and also then into camps and so on. Um, and I guess I was late 20s, uh, kind of yeah, late twenties, kind of thirty, when um, I was starting to sort of make the decision about stopping professional squash, uh, what direction to go next. Um, you know, the summer camps were ticking over fine, uh, and 
I was at that stage based in Bristol. Um, so I'd kind of migrated back south from Nottingham. Uh, I was with a girlfriend at the time in, um, in Bristol and kind of playing leagues, but not playing PSA and, and trying to figure out the next move. Um, and I kind of had two, two options on the table. Uh, one was to, I was doing Open University as well, studying while I was playing. So I was sort of slowly gathering um, the beginnings of a humanities degree with a view to possibly going to school teaching. Um, but also was sort of building up the coaching a little bit more while I was based in Bristol. Um, and yeah, as I spent a bit more time in the city um, and I split from the, the girl that I was with at the time, but I thought I'm actually going to think I'm going to stay here. I, I like it and I feel like it feels the right place to be. Um, it's southwest of the UK, so I'm still kind of close to home and it still has the same kind of relaxed um I suppose mindset and um yeah environment that that I kind of have an affinity with uh but at the same time it's a big enough city that I thought I could kind of do something mm-hmm. and create something so um then um my my now wife um I, I'd kind of met her during this period and uh she'd moved down to Bristol and I was basically sat with her kind of going I don't know what I'm going to do which which way do I go here and she sort of said well you kind of you could end up doing two things averagely here sort of being a school teacher and pursuing that and kind of doing some squash coaching i think you just need to choose one and go for it um and yeah literally on that moment i kind of stopped the open uni stuff and went right elite squash is is going to be the thing i'm going to do i'm going to throw everything into that um and um yeah basically kind of set up a base in uh, in Redland and Bristol in a, in a club there and went, right, this is it, I'm all in. Kind of, you know, sort of putting Hadrian, the squash player, to one side and, and now just completely focusing on any, you know, players, young players that I could start teaching and, um, and others from there and, and, and went, right, this is it, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so did, did you have a, a group of young guys that you were working closely with? I guess obviously you did at that time, and it kind of grew uh, into what it is today from there. Yes. Um, I mean, like anything, you know, it started as almost just sort of a seed, really, in Bristol. There's, there was um, a few players that I'd been, been working with while I was based in the city um, who went on to play professionally, Michael Harris and uh, James Snell and a few others who are from the Southwest, <coughs> Jethro Binns, um, mm-hmm. Lewis Hurst. Uh, so these guys were kind of either dipping in and out of Bristol, some of them kind of you know living and, and, and training here. So I sort of had this small group of uh, aspiring professionals and professionals and simultaneously, I probably only had, I don't know, six or eight kids initially <clears throat> at this club um, that I was working at and, and sort of a reasonable selection of adult kind of beginner intermediate clients. Um, and then I, I just just ground away, really, with, with the juniors and just was there week in, week out, regardless of the size of the groups. Uh, and then as word got around, I then started to pick up more players who were coming in from sort of the outskirts of Bristol wanting to get time on court. Um, uh, and then we had a couple of, within, I suppose, a year or two, a couple of quite successful players. Um, there's a young guy called Peter Joyce, who kind of just turned up at nine years old. A couple of years later, he was national champion. 
Um, <clears throat> and then uh, another guy called Eli Epke, who's still playing now in New Zealand, actually, who's, who's an incredibly good young junior uh, from Bristol. And um, she had a first lesson at six, no, five, actually. Um, and I kind of said to her dad, I think, uh, I think you can do this. You don't really need me at this stage, you know, like just come back when she's kind of a bit older. And he literally came back about a year later, went, right, how about now? Uh, at <laughs> yeah. six and uh, and uh, I went on court and she was already you know doing both drive and playing length rallies with me and I was just like Jesus this is incredible and it's great yeah sure enough four years later she was national champion under 13 pretty convincingly and um you know played for England and so on so we had like kind of those two in particular that really cut through pretty quickly and then I kind of built a program from the top down around them really because they were doing well more kids gravitated in um, quite quickly ended up at sort of 100 to 150 kids um, and I basically just went full full on just focusing on juniors um, and we had many kind of successful players you know as part of that as well but uh, that was my thing for a good eight years um, mm. And as that kind of grew, uh, and then I sort of had the pro scene, then, you know, people like Jethro, Mike and James, the, the people that I talked about, uh, they were also part of the coaching team, which was a massive asset too, because you had these kind of, you know, 20 something professionals that were, you know, playing a really high standard and, um, you know, had, had great knowledge and they were then imparting that on these juniors and, you know, had a really strong team, which is, you know, again, as I do now, sort of the vision I've always had. Um, and and then the sort of catalyst for things to really kick off was um, was Mohammed. Uh, yeah, I was going to so ask ten, how how did that all come about? Obviously, uh, there must have been some sort of connection there. Uh, yeah, 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 there was. Um, so yeah, I started coming. We've grown this this junior program. I had a you know handful of pro players there. Mike Harris at the time was um, at UE University and in Bristol um, and that sort of opportunity there for squash and study and scholarships has already been explored. Uh, and the connection I suppose was really through Jonah, um, All right, who, yeah. who I'm, I'm, you know, close with and I've spent, you know, fortunate to spend quite a bit of time with as a junior and, um, you know, him running national squads when I was young and then I've had some trips to, you know, to Millfield and played, you know, had had time with him basically, and 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 um, you know, inspiration and coaching from him as a young player. So I, I feel like we had a good relationship already, and and he had a, a belief in me and a trust in me as a coach. Now, you know, many years later, and so I think he was quite keen to sort of encourage Mohammed in this direction. Uh, it it enabled an opportunity for Mohammed obviously to be relatively close to Millfield because we're only 45 minutes to an hour away from, from Millfield in, in Bristol. So, mm -hmm. you know, that step from Mohammed leaving uh, kind of college education or what would be school education in, in the UK uh, into university meant that that could happen still close to Jonah, close to Millfield um, into what, you know, I believe Jonah considered to be a, you know, a positive environment with, with, um, you know, a coach that could help. Uh, and then basically the university just, uh, embraced it massively. So it gave him a, you know, a very great scholarship, um, you know, supported it all in, 
very flexible with his obviously his lifestyle of learning uh, or study and travel um so and, Mil- um, Mil- sorry uh Hadrian. millfield is where jonah he does his uh he's the the squash coach there isn't he is that right uh, yeah he he yeah. isn't now actually he's um he was yeah, yeah he's kind of re- retired from that uh sort of a couple of years ago it's ian thomas now runs um, okay. the program who's who's always been working you know with jonah on the whole thing and ian's still yeah doing really well he's, he's part of the the team with marwan um myself and heisen um so you know he's he's doing great stuff still there at um at Millfield and Jonah's, yeah, sort of taking a step back, but yeah, he, Jonah is, you know, the man that, that created the, uh, you know, the Millfield Academy and, and has had so many good players, you mm. know, go through that and go on to be extremely successful. Um, I won't even try to list them. There's just, there's just many, Mohammed and Marwan obviously being part of that, Mike, James Nell, so on, so on. Um, mm. So that connection is extremely powerful. Um, and that sort of facilitated Mohammed's um, move to Bristol. Uh, and yeah, the, the university bought in. Uh, he's 17 years old at the time, <clears throat> world junior champion, British Open champion. Um, he would then go on to win both those titles again. He came and simultaneously we had Lucas um, um, as the word got out that Mohammed was coming. You know, Lucas then, um, you know, obviously was, was keen for squash and study too and um he joined and then that really kind of kicked off the the pro scene um or, or yeah sort of uh, student pro scene in bristol um and then within a year or two marwan uh, then got to an age where he was uh, you know ready to come and he joined uh and then yeah it's really sort of grown from there whether players are studying at the uni or whether they're just based, you know, in the city for, for just full-time pro. Um, and, and that kind of component of, of study and squash um, at one end of the sort of scale for us where, I mean, fortunately, very fortunately with, with you know, Mohammed and Marlon and these guys, you know, we're you know, extremely grateful to have the sort of pinnacle with, with the best player in the world studying the vision has always been that at the top uh, and at, at the kind of bottom, it's our little three-year-olds on a Sunday morning with my dad and <laughs> Seamus Singh and other yeah. great coaches we have uh, here in Bristol throwing balloons around and, and catching, throwing and catching balls. Yeah. Uh, I've, and, seen, and I've seen the videos way. of your dad on, on their coaching. It looks like a lot of fun actually. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really great. And um, so, you know, that's kind of that vision has always been strong um for me that this this idea of this sort of mix of my experiences in nottingham playing pro where there's kind of 15 of us at least 15 20 of us playing you know at a really high standard john white Alex goff peter marshall Derek ryan uh simon park you know all at that kind of top end in nottingham during that sort of boom that we had there i wanted that in bristol um i wanted some kind of cairo in bristol some kind <laughs> yeah. of mini egypt uh some kind of pontefract you know all these sort of places and experiences that i've sampled and seen you know that buzz a little, that a little, sa- a little sampler of everything there right it is yeah, yeah yeah and ideally the kind of you know the best of each and um 
Uh, and I suppose just, just somewhere where no matter what level you're coming in at or what your aspirations are, uh, there's, there's great stuff for you. Whether you're a club member that just wants to play club night and have some fun, or whether you want to be you know, a world-class player or whether you want to you know, just try the sport for the first time, that, that we kind of have this all-inclusive environment and, and that that environment just has no hierarchy whatsoever uh, within you know, the coaching team or, or the professional players. There's no sort of, there's no clicks and there's no, um, you know, no egos really. Uh, and I hope that's something that, um, you know, comes across and that people feel when they're here. And again, that's credit to the Mohammeds and Marwans and Joels and others who yeah. could be, you know, almost aloof and, and beyond all that, but they're absolutely not. They're just in amongst the people. They're friendly, they're down to earth. And uh, they kind of set the, you know, they set the tone um, of, of how it is that uh, it's not about the rankings. It's about, you know, who you are, uh, how you relate to others. And um, that culture is, was, was also developed over the years, but that's, you know, that's a sort of a massive part of what I want to keep fine tuning and uh, uh, and improving, really. Now, spe- speaking of uh, setting the tone, now we all know uh, Marwan and, and Mohammed, the talent that they have, that they possess, but uh, they obviously have something else as well, something else, another tangible thing that they bring to their preparation and as, as players. Uh, I was just wondering what what sort of uh, in that regard what sort of stands out in terms of what so beyond the talent that they bring to the court mm. uh, uh, what does Mohammed what do Mohammed and Marwan bring uh, that, that that extra special thing that they bring to their training every day some, something that uh, something special that they obviously have because we see it all the time especially uh, when when we watch Mohammed he just digs there's something mm. else there you know what I mean sure yeah yeah absolutely uh there's um yeah there's there's a lot of things that are very special but certainly some things <clears throat> which are more more specific um and i mean my the first word that comes to mind is is character um character traits which are um ruthlessly honest with themselves uh which gives them the ability to uh, learn under all circumstances. Um, they are insanely hungry, and particularly Mohammed. Mohammed, you know, his, his sort of, you know, the stories of his beginnings in squash, nine years old, eight years old, being kind of spotted by Gamal Awad as as this sort of, you know, just insanely hungry driven individual uh who just couldn't see anything other than the pinnacle of the sport uh from the beginning which a lot of people say that a lot of people talk about being the best and so on but um a few only a few people really have it coursing through their veins um in in that way i think and uh there's no question that that's a massive part of of muhammad's uh success is his hunger is um is is famous within the squash world the players on court feel it uh i think people can see it and that hunger of course brings with it 
um, an insatiable appetite to to get better, train harder, invest more, um, and and really um, just completely uh, dive into anything which which is going to you know, make that happen. So um, the cliches of you know hard work and and persistence and effort and so on and so on you know that's that's yeah that's what you kind of see at that level but hard work in a different context to just being at the courts and grinding it out and clocking up hours yeah uh, hard work in facing fears in learning from everyone in um you know picking yourself up when you're down you know all these things which uh will either stop people or people can't just aren't able to confront um you know muhammad especially and then you know marwan marwan in a very different way um one of the things that i've been extremely fortunate to be able to uh spend a lot of time on court with both of those two and off court uh is like they've just taught me so much about how two people who are brothers can be so different in so many ways but yeah. so successful through kind of different paths um and uh you know that's that's something which um yeah is, has a has had a huge impact on me is is as you, as your sort of question really is is saying here what is it about individuals that get to the very top of the sport um but also um is it the same for each person? And, and the answer is no. You know, Mohammed's path is very different to Marwan's. His journey is very different. The way he's gone about it is very different. Um, you know, he's ferociously pursued it, sought out the best uh, people, uh, information, opportunities, um, and uh, it's just like an unstoppable kind of train going towards where he wants to go. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's kind of Marwan's, how he's when, he's when he's at his best. That's how we. Uh, that's what it looks like on court too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. Incredible. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. There's a kind of a different phase now, which you know maybe we'll talk about. That uh, that, that you know he's going to kind of have to learn to go through in this next period about you know different motivations. But um, but for Marwin, really, uh, kind of quietly not in the background obviously incredibly successful junior all the way through but has had to you know face and cope with being the younger brother of the incredibly successful older brother uh, uh, and how to um, somehow follow that um and be the uh i mean i don't have siblings i'm an only child so i don't you know totally understand the kind of dynamics of yeah you know of siblings but that you know knowing their journeys pretty well um how yeah marwin's path you know very much has been completely interwoven with muhammad for for a long period um incredibly close relationship very very supportive of each, of each other that's got to be quite uh, tricky for you isn't it i mean uh to to have to navigate those waters and uh i guess for for marwan having to uh sort of separate himself from from that in order to get to where where muhammad is uh, yeah 
Yeah, it's it's um, it's actually surprisingly not tricky for me, uh, which I don't I, I don't really see. Well, I kind of did see it coming. I never really thought through the reality that you know what happens when they're both at the top. How does that work? How does that feel for yeah. us three as a kind of trio? And what does that mean? And um, but as I said, because their relationship is just so strong uh, and so supportive with each other. There's never really been any issues with me, you know, having pretty, you know, deep information of each of them that I could share with each other. But, you know, I don't, I just, you know, treat each individual on their own. Um, But uh, yeah, sort of going back to Marwan, his, his kind of journey in the more recent years has very much been about how he, uh, kind of breaks away from um not breaks away from the relationship with his brother at all but finds his own journey finds his own way uh for for his reasons um not to try to measure up to his brother or anybody else but just finds his own way on his terms the way he's uh you know what the way he's going to do it best and um and that's that goes for a lot of players whether that be you know in relation to a sibling or a coach or a parent or a whatever a club or a federation you know is a friend exactly you know um anyone that influences you you know heavily um well you see a guy like uh for example nicholas mueller who i think's supremely talented but he and he's such good friends with uh rosner who's done how well he's done i'm just wondering how that affects him and in a way you know uh Definitely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, this is the whole, it squashes a tiny bubble really. Uh, And then within that, there are sort of little bubbles within the bubble of, you know, nations and clubs and and then training camps. Uh, And I know for sure that, you know, the the players that are in Bristol, um, we've got 15, 20 professionals playing here. Uh, You know, it's a a daily reminder you know, these guys have to learn how to not measure themselves against, you know, who's on the next court along or, you know, who they're sharing a house with or, you know, the people around them. You can use those people to, you know, inspire and, and spar with, but it's trying to separate your journey from theirs and not, not, not measure yourself against other people because you're just not the same. Um, very easy to say, but um mm you know not not easy to do and again going way, back to you know the Mohammed and Miles, that's what they're very good at by the way how is uh, marwan doing i noticed um he, he had a little bit of a I would, maybe it wasn't a setback today but he didn't get through his first round in india is he uh, how is his health and uh, is how are things going going forward for him yeah yeah i mean it was uh yeah it was tough today uh first you know first one back after a long period of time um and yeah inevitably after a long break um even though uh in practice things can feel good and everything needs appears to be working as a, as you'd like it there's um it's a very different thing when you get to a PSA event and if you haven't played in a PSA event for quite a while even at the level you know that you know someone like Marvin's at um it's kind of a a skill that has to return to you uh, and it's just going to take a bit of time really to to get back into that but um yeah he'll he'll pick himself up i'm yeah. sure physically he's uh, he's okay getting getting better yeah. yeah 
yeah, 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 definitely. No, it's uh, all, all appears to be back on track there, which that's, is great. That's good. Yeah, there were a few upsets yeah. in that uh, that event uh, in the early rounds. It must be the Christmas pudding, I think. Uh, people, yeah, have- <laughs> it could be. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, quite often the case after after a break. There's always yeah. that kind of initial, you know, you know, TSC could could bring similar things. So, you know, we'll see. Right. Now, uh, Joelle King, uh, actually, to speak of her, she, uh, she credits you for her uh, for upsurge, and she said uh, in an interview recently that uh, she, re- she needed a change in environment and that you provided it for her. And then uh, shortly after, I guess, when you first met her, uh, you went on court with her, and she said it was unlike anything she's ever experienced uh, before on court, which is saying a lot for someone who's played a lot of squash. Uh, can you, yeah. uh, you know, and she's playing some great squash right now. She's our, she, she could find herself at number one in the world uh, as well. Uh, so what was it about that uh, change in environment that you were able to, uh, to uh, help for her? And then uh, that first session, what, what was so different about it? Uh, do you remember? I do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah like i mean still great experiences great memories um yeah i mean it was uh relatively unusual uh and a kind of uh <laughs> in a way kind of almost extreme start to a, a player coach relationship um as you mentioned in uh, i think it might be the uh, the article that you're talking about but she you know she sort of talked about how um things weren't going too well she was pretty disillusioned not in a great place um <clears throat> and i was kind of watching this uh, a bit from afar i mean I, i'd met her briefly before but i didn't really know her that well but as as many people i'm sure sort of seen you know huge potential uh for her as a as a player and um marlon had spoken to her as well at an event and said oh you know you know you should maybe uh reach out to hadrian and and see what you think i think he could help and um you know, he mentioned that he kind of made a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, an inroad with Joelle and sort of mentioned it. And, and I thought, well, actually, I'll just follow it up and see what see what she thinks. So we had a, a couple of emails backwards and forwards, and um, and then eventually, so sort of said, well, let's meet up at the British Open, um, sort of whenever we were a year and a half ago. Um, uh, and unfortunately, that event didn't go too well for her. Um, she said she was on a sort of bit of a a difficult period to say the least with her squash so she'd lost um we then arranged to meet for for a coffee after um which um was our sort of first proper face-to-face meeting uh and it was pretty emotional she was um you know kind of understandably just very upset by the whole uh way things were the way the season was going um and we talked about how it could work about um you know really what what she was going through why she felt like she did and uh yeah it was a i say fairly emotional but kind of very um good start uh and and i kind of just said well um let's let's get on court um let's hit some balls see how it feels see what you think about you know how i teach and um and uh what that feels like to you and and let's just make a step and and take it from there so yeah we booked a court in hull at the the university and um you know my kind of i mean my kind of philosophy for, for everyone 
whatever level they are is is the first thing is like how can i make this how can i make you more efficient how can i make this game easier how can what do i need to get rid of or or um or connect to help the person feel um the kind of ultimate level of functionality i suppose of how they how they hit the ball mm. and how they move and my understanding of joel having watched her previously is that you know you've got a supreme athlete with an exceptional work ethic extremely high standard of player obviously and already very successful but um i felt that she needed uh to kind of tap into the uh more skill-based um kind of sensory process-driven side of playing rather than kind of going okay i'm going to go on and play a fast tempo and be physically dominant um i wanted to give her an insight to what it could feel like to hit the ball more cleanly uh to have more skill to have more variation um more creativity uh and and you know if she's up for it let's let's see where we can go for that uh, where we can take that so um we basically just did ball striking for about two hours or three hours i think right. a bit of conversation yeah. but um you know i kind of i work in a way that i try to uh help people as deeply as possible feel what they're doing um and um at that stage joel was someone that kind of really thinks what she does rather than feels it uh and and those kind of players are you know as i said normally very kind of uh frontal cortex kind of driven uh but they're not using the kind of subconscious brain um as much as they could uh and therefore um it's harder to then you know be creative and skillful and and feel what they do so i really uh kind of gave her I suppose, an insight into like this is what it could feel like to hit a backhand um if you actually you know get rhythm timing and feeling and uh, and, and relaxation into your process and imagine what we could do with you know your short game if you can do this with a straight drive which is kind of where we started and we did the same on the forehand and you know and she really enjoyed it and well it's uh, sort of a i mean i know <laughs> at my level when i when i i can remember my best matches are matches where it just sort of i just felt like i wasn't thinking at all, you know uh yeah, things exactly. just happen uh and it, it, yeah. if you if you uh, as i guess that you're able to teach that um <laughs> yeah. which is incredible because i just thought well, <laughs> by accident uh, that happened yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i mean you know i don't i don't profess to have kind of a magic uh, a magic solution to it but that's that's what i'm certainly aiming to teach is mm. is um to help you know help players get this sensation of kind of mastery over what they're doing um yeah. and then with that you know just kind of guide them but almost kind of release them to go do it uh, rather than saying you know here's a technical framework you're going to do a b and c you're going to hit the ball in these areas and i'm going to give you a kind of you know template to work from which is also very successful i'm not saying that um uh you know that can't be a, a successful formula but it's just not one that that kind of resonates with me or that i choose to kind of use i i just i just strongly believe that that everyone should experience um you know the sport at, at the highest level that they can um 
and a very strong message that I gave to Joelle from the beginning, which, you know, credit to her, she bought into straight away was like, well, actually, let's make our mission that you conclude this sport, enjoying it at the highest level you can. Mm. So regardless of whether your ranking slips down or does whatever, like, let's just make a pact right now that we're both going to go all in on uh, on adding this to your game and the reason we're going to do it is because you're going to enjoy everything way more uh it's going to be new things that you're going to learn and you can bring into how you play but this won't feel like a slog um and 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 you know and a byproduct is you could also just scream through the rankings and start beating everybody (laughs) but that wasn't the that wasn't at all um the you know the mission at that stage it was just like i just want you to i just want you to enjoy the sport however long you end up playing it for now like let's hope we can at least extend it past today um but well, however i think long uh, been, i think to a know, squash player any uh any time you you're on the court and it feels like it's a slog you're you're, you're mm. probably not playing that well definitely definitely but um unfortunately that is is probably the majority of the time that it, it can do yeah uh, i mean for sure it's bloody hard and it's hard uh, work, you yeah. know it's it's hard work but there's a different a big difference between just grinding with your kind of head down uh compared to actually being in the moment of what's going on and uh and having a kind of really mm. you know kind of personal sensory experience of that and you know when we see you know around your shore or you know these kind of sort of geniuses of the sport i mean that's that's just flying straight up his subconscious that's right. not that's not well, they, a conscious they're process. finding the joy in the game aren't they there is they are yeah they are, absolutely and uh and not everybody's ramming of course like nobody's ramming but <laughs> um i i also believe everybody deserves and should have at least a piece of that um mm. so that was really yeah the sort of first step with joelle and uh, and then, I mean, she's just in a, an incredible character, you know, ambassador for the sport. I mean, it's her successes, you know, already to date are, um, you know, are absolutely awesome. But for me, her, um, you know, her most kind of impressive elements are the fact that she's had the courage to try something new, see it through, go all in uh you know and and just embrace it even though it's kind of new and it's different and it might not work and she might not win and there's loads of things that you know you know might not be kind of how she'd expect but she's you know prepared to do that and trust and go for it and um you know that actually takes a lot of courage um because you know squash players as as any sports people do like we're often driven by winning and we're terrified that you know failure um is is losing uh and and not moving up rankings but that's just not true right uh, you know f- failure is not growing and not learning um and uh it's a you know a big a big thing to try and help people with really and um going back to character traits you know that's yeah. that's like a huge part of those people in the top 10 top five well, obviously, uh, uh, to me, uh, at least having talked to you here and heard you um, explain it, uh, this is that that manifests itself through the the mind and body uh, relationship that elite squash kind of uh, uh, the philosophy of elite squash. 
Now, I, I wanted to ask you about the movement part because uh, I know you've been great with your time, uh, Hadrian, but I just wanted to ask sure. you the movement part. Uh, movement, for me, it's probably the part of the game that I, I work on the most. And uh, yeah. you said something about uh, achieving uh, that uh, mind and body uh, balance uh, in terms of movement and how, how important that is. Uh, how, how do you go about um, teaching or, or describing what you meant by that? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, we, well, I, I use kind of, I suppose, various different techniques. Um, from a physical point of view, uh, the warm-up is, is one of the key areas hmm. that um, really help develop the most important concepts of movement um balance rhythm timing relaxation uh these these kind of fundamental components which uh can really like unlock uh people's opportunities to to move better move more easily um within that warm-up place uh there are you know more kind of technical things functional things and the, how the hips work how the foot behaves um you know relationships between where the body sits over the feet so there's a lot of kind of finer details within the details that i go through you know which are different to each individual um in every warm-up uh so that whole kind of process is uh, kind of a strong part of the kind of method that the elite squash has and it's a combination of um, identifying with the individual how the body is uh, functioning, whether that's if we take balance as an example. So there's quite a bit of time spent on balance. So, you know, how does it feel on this foot? What, where does the, the body weight go? Um, can you tell me what part of the foot is working hardest? Are your toes working? Are you, where's your body weight shifting to? Is it front? Is it back? Is it side? Now what happens when you close your eyes? What's happening now? Uh, psychologically, what's happening when, when you close your eyes? Are you now panicking? Are you fighting? Are you trying too hard? And even within a balance routine, we can start to kind of unpack attitudes to passing and failing, um, you know, sensory awareness of body parts, um, just stacking of body parts between foot, you know, uh, hip and upper body um and so it's and basically kind of what, what what uh, so it's basically kind of what works well for the individual not necessarily a set uh type pattern of movement that that you're you're working no, absolutely i mean it's, yeah. it's it's based around you know necessary fundamentals for great movement um as a said, you know kind of postural concepts functional concepts um through yeah different body positions which again is is different for each individual there are certain things which need to be the same for everyone you know form it needs to be the same uh, you know as close to as good as it can be um but again part of those warm-ups there's a lot of time spent with different patterns of the feet which are very rhythmically um centered uh patterns in kind of one twos one two threes one two three fours um and during those, you know, you're already starting to, to unpick, well, how well does this person uh, switch from one pattern to another? Can they feel rhythm? Can they count rhythm? 
Um, can they disassociate body parts? What happens if they do a pattern with their feet and I throw them a tennis ball? Can they catch a ball while maintaining the pattern? And already, you know, you're starting to develop incredibly important, um, you know, skills for squash, which is, of course, being able to move your feet in one pattern and move your arms in a different pattern while thinking two different things while your heart rate's at 190. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, an incredibly multifaceted, thing uh movement within the squash context so yeah the warm-ups like i said there's a lot of detail in there which i'm not going to too far but yeah, yeah there's a lot of things in there which um they're preparing people to play but more importantly they are the ongoing um uh, practice which helps each individual connect more deeply into their body uh bring the mind and the body together. So it's so much about how does this feel for me? You know, how much deeper can I go into the sensation to help this be an easier movement, a freer movement? What are, what's blocking me mentally? What muscles are recruiting that I don't need? Um, and when those concepts are really kind of deeply embedded and, and players have that, um, that kind of way of thinking, then when I take that into a broader context where, they're perhaps moving to a tennis ball from the tee to the front corner. I'm throwing the ball up and it's bouncing and it's like, okay, you know, you're going to move to that ball, but how much movement do you need? You know, can we get that to just flow to that moment, catch the ball on time, flow back into the tee. Um, I don't give any patterns. I don't say it should be this foot or that foot. Uh, I just let people find the rhythm, which is most successful. And then that really leads into the, you know, the racket and the ball, uh, you know, feed the ball in one area. How does the swing and the movement link together? Um, how, uh, how does relaxation affect that process? Um, and then essentially just keep adding complexity, variation, difficulty. As that then unfolds, things will either start to fall apart or break down or become too difficult. And then we might take it back a step, figure out, what that is what's the mm. kind of key component that we need to understand and then uh, bring that in and then and let it go again but the objectives are still the same is like this individual on this court today how am i going to make this body like super efficient easy smooth connected uh you know connected between mind and body uh, and then skill and, and creativity can kind of flow from that and i know it we're still well and truly nailing down the basics of you know the necessities of squash of you know back corners and basic game and so on like it's not um it's certainly not all you know rammy stuff um no. but uh but he's definitely but said, yeah. uh, he's definitely someone who's harmonized the the body and the mind and to be able to play that that way uh, the way he plays it's the way he plays uh, yeah yeah absolutely um and i think really for anyone in the kind of rami um sort of world i mean i said there isn't really anyone like him but you know there are many players who have that similar ease on the court um yeah, guarantee they have no idea how they're doing that um <laughs> and, uh, yeah. that, that's that's the magic you know that's yeah. what i'm trying to get to with people that may have some of it but not all of it is is help them feel that and experience that once they have it they own it um and then for me i'm just you know directing them and tweaking and you know adding or subtracting things which i think are going to make the biggest difference but um just quickly to add in like a massive 
part of uh, this whole method and um, this, I suppose, uh, sort of mission to get bodies moving at their highest level. Um, Joanne Elphinstone, who's a um, performance mover specialist based in uh, in Cardiff, um, in Wales, just near Bristol, actually, uh, she wrote something in Squash Bear magazine years ago that I saw and it just instantly hit the mark. And then I basically hunted her down until I could get time with her. And then I was very fortunate, spent a lot of time with her over the last 10 years. Um, okay. You know, a lot of collaborations together. And I've been on many courses that she's done and, and many other kind of books and um, things that I've listened to. But she, she was the person that helped me believe that there is a way to say, well, this is what I can imagine this person can do, but I can't figure out how to get them to own it. Um, basically teaching through the nervous system, not, not through the muscles, not through the body. It's, it's going in through that, uh, helping people sense that. Um, and then, um, yeah, then from there, anything can happen. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah. you having laid it out, uh, the way you did today on the, on the podcast, I, I'm a, I mean, like I said earlier, but I've experienced my best matches when I haven't, I don't know why I played that well. And, and it's obviously yeah. just because the thing, the body and mind uh, were harmonized. Uh, Absolutely. As you said, yeah. And, uh, yeah. You can figure out a way of getting people to do that more uh, sort of routinely or uh, make it, make it part of their, part of their game, I guess. Uh, you know, it's definitely going to help them uh, help their squash. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, uh, yeah, in my opinion, like the other stuff is it's not easy, but it's uh, a whole lot easier as in, you know, the technical frameworks, um, where to put the ball, tactical choices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's it. Like I'm probably quite well known for the movement side of things, but the mental side and the tactical side uh, are, are wrapped up in that because, you know, I'm a strong belief that if you can get, as you say, that, that almost, um, you know, unthinking state where the mind and the body are connected, your yeah. decision-making and shot choices. Well, I'm, I guess on those days you're really clear, enjoying your, you're enjoying your squash, right? Uh, exactly. You're out there, yeah. you're, you're in a sort of a, Having your, yeah. your your eureka moment out there on the court, you are, and you can see things as they are. You know, it's like time's not flying at two hundred miles an hour. Time slows down, yeah. and then when you've got that option in the front corner of like, well, you know, I do, I drop or drive or hold or do whatever, the the choices um, <clears throat> and the execution becomes, you know, a much more. Uh, it's never simple or easy, of course, but it becomes a much more intelligent opportunity uh if you're rushing to the ball and it's all happening too quick with the best tactical advice in the world um it's unlikely under pressure that you're going to manage to to make you know the best decisions so uh, that's that's the kind of reason for starting with movement and mind really is to, to, to kind of yeah provide that opportunity for people to have the highest level of sort of intelligence on the court as well well i know uh, what i'm going to do uh uh, for my next match anyway, so I'm going to go out there and just uh, try to uh, enjoy. Don't try. Yeah, yeah don't, don't try. try. No, no, no. Yeah, okay, I've already messed up. Okay. <laughs> just be. Just go out just there and be. enjoy it, you know. And, and exactly. Do what yeah. you 
play the game that you like to play. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it's incredibly powerful, of course. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of more, um, you know, serious realities in there as well when you get into the heat of the battle and that's that. But, um, but if the process feels good, you, you know, you're well on your way. Now, Adrian, you've been uh, amazing with your time, uh, so I won't keep you much longer. Mm-hmm. I just have, uh, I, I wanted to uh, give you the opportunity to, I know you've been recruiting for, for Elite Squash. Uh, I noticed mm-hmm. a few uh, uh, posts, on, I think it was on Facebook maybe, or yeah. on Twitter. Uh, so how are things uh, globally uh, going for you of late, and uh, are you still recruiting and looking for any uh, people to take up coaching positions? I know quite a few uh, coaches or aspiring coaches uh, mm. might be listening uh, uh, to the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in kind of short terms, um, I'm elite squash, I suppose is, is growing into different uh, environments, different clubs, uh, different countries. Um, and uh, in some contexts, these are kind of franchise setups uh, in other contexts they're more sort of partnerships where their relationship is close so the partnerships are generally in the uk um and yeah the idea is to be able to uh, share these experiences and ideas and things which um you know which i'm learning uh, and and uh, our whole team here in bristol are learning all the time uh and and give those clubs you know, um, a, a kickstart really and a head start in, in developing programs, developing players and, um, uh, and clubs as well. So anybody that, that I connect with um, has to have the same kind of vision um, and, and I suppose belief in what squash is for to some extent, um, you know, about, about uh, yeah, communities and like i said really with bristol earlier that it, you know it's an all-inclusive environment where uh, anybody is not in the hierarchies anybody can be part of it and no matter what your aspirations are you know we're going to provide an environment that can you know help you reach your best so each location really is sort of focused on on this philosophy and idea so the coaches that we need um to do that uh yeah to some extent you know need to sort of fit that criteria of you know anyone who is aspirational you know hungry to learn passionate about coaching um wants to be part of a kind of uh, almost tribe in a way like a it's a, it's a global family that that i that i envision as part of this that we have different locations we're all connected under the same kind of philosophy and and reasons why we do what we do um, and um, and from a coach's point of view that you know you're connected with all the other coaches and uh, and we share the whole journey um, right. and uh, so yeah definitely any um, we, we've got um, yeah we've got one in Belgium at the moment we've kind of talking to a few people who, who could um, fit, fit the role there uh, I'm just about to launch uh, India, Mumbai in India, um, where um, we're going to start something there, and and that could could well grow across uh, across that area, and then potentially across the rest you're of the country. You're and still then, coaching uh, Josh Chenepo, <coughs> is that right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Still coaching Josh. Yeah, that's great as well. Yeah, really enjoyable. She's, she's had a good good couple of years. Uh, last few yeah. years, been good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She's making um, making some great progress, you know, on, on a few levels recently. So, uh, yeah, yeah, same same goals there. Uh, yeah, so India and then, um, yeah, through through the Middle East a little bit as well. Okay. Uh, in Dubai. I know you're in Dubai, Dubai I think. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, where I'm yeah, based out of. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just have a little Neil, bit. Of, uh, I think uh, was it Neil? Uh, Neil Young uh, was he involved in uh, elite squash it, for for a bit? Uh, he was. Yeah, yeah. he was. Um, yeah, not not now. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, he he ran it for a while uh, over there, and uh, yeah, he's now kind of um, we've gone our separate ways on that. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so we still. Still had the same team, great team of coaches, um, and uh, yeah, different different kind of team of people behind it. <clears throat> so yeah, that's that's a. I mean, yeah, as you well know, Dubai is um, uh, you know really interesting, yeah, <laughs> fascinating interesting. place to kind of do stuff. Yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, you I'm could definitely use uh, you know elite squash around uh, to sort of jump. Things are a bit stale uh, uh, over yeah. here. <laughs> the, the squash yeah, scenes. Yeah. Need some yeah, sure. injection of uh, maybe elite squash can provide that. Yeah, yeah, well, for sure. That's you know that's that's yeah. One and truly, the mission is has made that happen. So yeah, and, and there's there's a few other um, locations on the horizon. Again, like I said with people who who you know often have just we've just kind of crossed paths or we sort of gravitated together for various reasons. Um, uh, again, in, in Canada, actually, and. In Ottawa, is a oh, yeah. chap called Ralph Shillington, who's uh, brought his kids to the UK for a camp. Uh, we spent a bit of time together because he was kind of hanging around in the camps um, each day. And um, long story short, I went over and did some camps over there with him. He's just a great guy with a, just a fantastic vision for squash and young people, and um, and and what could be done in in Ottawa yeah. area. Um, so. You know, we're working sort of on a on a sort of mid to long term vision to try and um, really create something great there. Um, so, yeah, I really hope that that can kind of transpire because, again, like I said, it's right people for right reasons, great place. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a it's a yeah. f- fairly uh, strong squash community in Ottawa, if memory yeah. serves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's uh, it's good. I, I really enjoy enjoy visiting there as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, any um. Yeah, any any keen coaches. So I guess like, if anyone's sort of in interested, maybe just contact you uh, by email or something. If they're if they're interested yeah. in, in any of this, sure. uh, contact you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. All yeah, right. Always keen. As uh, there's not enough, there's not enough young coaches out there. They're all sucked up by the US. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're all no. over there at the universities. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need we need a few. We need a yeah. few spare. <laughs> well, Hadrian, uh, uh, thank you so much. Over an hour here uh, on the podcast. Uh, you're a legend. Uh, thank you so much for, for doing this and uh, all the best to you and your team and with uh, Elite Squash going forward in 2019. Yeah, great. Thanks thanks so much, uh, Jerry. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was good yeah. fun. Thanks a lot, good, Hadrian. Good experience. Well, thanks to Hadrian so much uh, for that for being so generous with his time, uh, well over an hour there and some really good stuff, uh, especially, uh, uh, that's the, the content on, uh, harmonizing the body and the mind and bringing that, uh, to the, uh, to the court each and every time, uh, we play. Like I mentioned, uh, for me personally, uh, 
I'm always I always enjoy my squash when I'm happy and when I'm not really thinking uh, too much about it. The results normally follow, and um, I think that's something that he's definitely trying to coach or to train his players to be able to do. How to do that is I think it requires something special. So he's obviously he obviously has that ability to 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 coach that. So uh, go back and listen a little more closely to to what he has to say. Uh, maybe we'll all be able to inject a bit of that into our game and enjoy our squash uh, all the time, and uh, and hopefully uh, the results will uh, will follow as well. So again, thanks to Hadrian uh, for that great chat uh, on today's podcast. And uh, just to, to let you know, we've got some really good uh, episodes upcoming uh, next week. So uh, stay tuned for those. The next one will drop on Ju- on uh, January 15th. And then a few days after, we'll have another. So uh, looking forward to uh, those ones. Some big names hopefully coming on, uh, two players. So I don't want to jinx it yet, but... Uh, uh, fingers crossed it'll uh, it'll happen so anyways uh, everyone enjoy your squash uh, again happy new year uh, and I'm looking forward to this year on the in, on the in squash podcast thanks for listening and uh, have a great day goodbye now